Good morning, everybody. Hey, nice to see you. Nice to see some visitors as well. Um, if you don't know me, most of you probably do. I'm Matt, one of the pastors here. And a lovely warm welcome from me as well this morning. All right, let's bring up the PowerPoint if we can. There it is. Oh, those are some big cheesy feet on the screen, aren't they? Let's be honest. Dear Church, this morning's talk is entitled, Dear Church, Wake Up. Wake Up. Because this is the really clear heart of the letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Sardis. Wake up! So let me ask you, where's the most unusual place you've ever fallen asleep? Anyone got any stories of when you fell asleep? Yeah, Phil. (laughs) Multi-story car park on the staircase. Was this after a night out, Phil, or was this just a random, maybe many years ago? Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Multi-story car park staircase, yes. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It's a very unusual place to fall asleep, Dave. Very unusual. I have any of that, thank you. Any others? Yeah. Oh, nice. Under a couch. You couldn't get in for some reason. There's a festival. This will do. Way. <laughs> I like it. Yes. Peter. Oh, on, on a bench in the station. Yeah. Station at 4 a.m. After the university. It's all coming out this morning, isn't it? I think we better leave it there before our church gets here. Yeah, go on. That's amazing. In the dentist chair during a root canal. That's extraordinary. That one, that one yeah, had a newborn baby at the time, was exhausted. Like, oh, this is relaxing. Ah. <laughs> amazing. Okay. Have you ever fallen asleep at a concert? Like a classical music concert. Oh, they're nice, aren't they? Yeah. Nice and gentle. Yeah. Nice and nice, nice relaxing tones of the violins and the, uh, you know, the cellos and things. So there is a marvellous clip. Of, uh, there's a piece called uh, Firebird by Stravinsky. There's a marvellous clip of uh, an orchestra, I can't remember which orchestra, about 2007, playing this extraordinarily beautiful piece. And the conductor's there just conducting it nicely and beautifully. And you could just fall asleep. And suddenly, in Stravinsky's Firebird, it goes, BAM! Like this. At which point you hear someone go, ah! Like this. <laughs> Clearly, they have fallen asleep. <laughs> now, would you like to see the clip? Because I did bring it. This is marvellous. Watch, watch the orchestra trying not to laugh. It's so good. So if we go next. Here we go. Nice and loud. Nice and loud. Music up. We'll start again if it's not up. Can we pull back to the beginning of the video? Brilliant. So volume up on the, on the thing. Let's go. Here we go. There it is. Amazing. Here we go. Everyone relax. There he was. (laughs) Watch the conductor. He's brilliant. He's trying not to laugh. (laughs) Oh, so good. There you go. 
<laughs> Who knew Stravinsky could be so funny? That is one of the best clips on the internet, I tell you. There you go. Mm. Okay, that's tickled me. So, remember this morning, we're looking at the seven letters written to Jesus to the seven churches in the first chapters of Revelation. They were received by John in a vision. He was on the island of Patmos, remember? He wrote down what he saw and heard from Jesus the end of the first century. Seven churches, and I'll tell you why we looked at that in a moment. Seven churches, here they are, that we've begun to look through. So far, we have studied, this is modern-day Turkey. Uh, Dear church, where's your first love? That was Ephesus. Dear church, will you hold on when it hurts? That was Smyrna. Dear church, whose voice are you listening to? That was Pergamum. Dear church, I'm searching your hearts, Thyatira. And this morning, dear church, wake up. Wake up. And Sardis, the church is asleep. This morning, I want to talk about what it means for us as Christians to be fully awake. And I pray this might be a wake-up call for all of us in some sense. For some of us, maybe in an amazing way this morning. Come Holy Spirit, we just pray. Lord, as we turn to your word, we just hear the simplicity of that call. Wake up. Open your eyes. Would you open our eyes this morning in a new way? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's get a, 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 a wriggle on. Three things I want you to know about Sardis. Here is Sardis. Look at that. Modern day Sardis. Absolutely stunning. First thing I want you to know is what you can see there. It's quite obvious. The most striking thing about Sardis is it was famous around the world at the time for its impenetrable fortress. In ancient cities, you'd have the lower city in this region, uh, the lower city often, and then the higher bit of the city, which was guarded like a castle and a keep. Um, and this was called the Acropolis, the high up bit of the city. And Sardis had the best one around. It was so high and so steep. I mean, look at this. This is what it's known for, its fortress. So high and so steep. If you look on the top there, you can still see some of the, I think that's a bit later, Byzantine period probably. But this is what they built a fortress on the top of. And nobody could get up these sheer, look at that, these sheer climbs. It was impossible to attack Sardis and to get into the city. It was regarded at the time as the strongest fortified place in the world. And it became a saying to capture the Acropolis of Sardis, the equivalent of saying, yeah, and pigs might fly. Oh, I'm going to do this tomorrow. Yeah, and you're also going to capture the Acropolis of Sardis. Should we start it? Should we re-enter that one into the... People are like, I'm very educated. I go to church, don't you know? Um, <laughs> and because of this Acropolis, it dominated all the regions all around. So first thing, fortress. Second thing, wealthy. My goodness me, this was a wealthy place. It was once wealthy beyond imagination. It used to be the capital of the Lydian kingdom and it was ruled over in the 6th century before Christ by the richest king in all the world, King Croesus. And he was so rich because surrounding the city, firstly, are these mountains you can see, the tallest mountains. They enabled excellent wine groves to grow up the slopes. The mountains were rich in metals. Crucially, they were the source of the river Pactolus that swept down the mountain and made the plains all around Sardis super, super fertile. It also brought with it the, the river gold from the centre of the mountain. Interesting. The river was teeming with gold. And this made um, Sardis and King Croesus hugely wealthy. 
If you wanted gold for coins or for gilding or for opulence and arts and riches, it all came from Sardis. And so did the very best dyed wool, Turkish carpets, garments of utter royal beauty came from this place. It was known as wealthy. It was known as artistic. It was known as powerful. It was known as opulent. However, the third thing I want you to know is that by the time John is writing this letter, received from Jesus, their great days were past them and Sardis is declining. The river's long gone. No, the river's still there. The gold in the river is long gone. It's all been taken out. It's all been uh, sifted through long gone. Long gone are its opulence and its riches and its glory. It's been impacted by an earthquake. It's kind of been rebuilt, but Sardis is becoming a fairly mundane dwelling at this point. If you'd have travelled there hearing the stories of old, is this where Croesus had his great kingdom? You'd turn up and go, it's not so great after all. Although it had fame, still, in John's day, really it was dying. And it was losing its vitality. And that's exactly what Jesus says has happened to the church in Sardis. Jesus says this. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. But you're dead. What a harrowing thing for Jesus to say about any church. You think you're alive, but you're dead. And instead of starting with any positives in this letter, as he does in every other letter, Jesus simply says, You guys think you're doing okay, but you're deluded. You've started lots of good stuff, but you've not finished any of it. You're misguided, you're asleep, you're dying. It's a devastating rebuke. But remember, Jesus isn't there to hurt this church. Jesus doesn't like picking on churches and going, oh, you're rubbish, no. He's the one who holds the churches in his hands, in his care in his protection. He utterly loves his church. Scripture says he died for his church. He died for all the world. Scripture also says he died for his church. And so he does not leave them abandoned to their fate. Now he gives them one last chance. And like that orchestra chord, struck so loudly, calls out to their very being, Wake up, Sardis! Wake up! to work out who that is. It's not one of, it's not one of ours. <laughs> As words go from Jesus, this one's pretty potent, I think. I wonder, do we need to hear it this morning? Do you need to hear it? Do I need to hear it? Do we as a church need to hear it? Without realising it, are there areas in our lives where we've actually fallen asleep? The church at Sardis, there's no doubt this would have struck a particular chord with them. Because whilst this story was famous for its Acropolis that could never be taken, it was also famous one particular time when it was taken. And it was taken whilst the people and the king slept. This is the great history of Sardis and its Acropolis. You see, its enviable fort also played against it. It meant that people wanted to have a go at it. Because if you could take Sardis, you could dominate the, re- uh, the, the regions all around. And so, at one point... Croesus, the king, this is this great wealthy king I told you about, 6th century BC, he sees this new whippersnapper on the block, King Cyrus of 
Persia, yes, the same King Cyrus who we thought about in Nehemiah, who sent, uh, who beat the Babylonians and sent the uh, Jewish captives back to Jerusalem to rebuild. Hold that thought. Uh, just an interesting link there. But this King Cyrus wasn't really known at the time, and Croesus went out with a half-hearted effort to try and get rid of him uh, as revenge because he hurt his uh, cousin. Um, and Cyrus actually beat Croesus. Even though Croesus was hugely wealthy and could have made a huge army, he wasn't particularly prepared for it. And he got beaten. And he retreated back to Sardis, the impenetrable fortress. But Cyrus followed him. And he sieged Sardis all around. And I imagine, and some writers I've read say, Croesus probably wasn't too worried. The people were relaxed. Hey, you're right down there. There's nothing you can do. There's only one way into the fortress. That is so heavily guarded, it is impossible for Cyrus to do anything. And so the people slept, and the king slept night after night, no worries, as they began to think about building another army and and sorting him out when they could get round to it. But each night, there was a soldier that was looking at the walls and looking at the vertical parts of the mountain, and each night trying different ways. Until one night he found a particular way up with cracks in the side of the mountain that enabled him to crawl up the wall. Of course, no one was on guard. Why guard? We don't need to. We can just sleep. And he realized you could get up. And he told the soldiers, and King Cyrus's soldiers climbed up that wall whilst the Sardis folk and the king were sleeping. And they absolutely devastated the Acropolis and the fortress. And they won. King Croesus had fallen asleep. His soldiers had not kept watch. It's said that if even a child had been keeping watch over that wall, they could have thrown a stone at the soldier and knocked him off. It would have been easy. But no one was watching. Everyone was sleeping. It became a fabled story in Greek culture, Turkish culture, the time, the ancient Near East, that basically... Uh, a fable about staying awake and keeping watch. So when Jesus says, wake up and keep watch to the church at Sardis, there is no doubt it hit them deeply. The church had fallen asleep on the job when they should have been awake. It's interesting, as Christians, um, I believe we're called to a special type of awakeness. Really interesting thought. You see, it's perfectly possible to go through life with our spiritual eyes closed, if you like, as human beings, totally unaware and oblivious to the realities all around us, ignorant in the darkness of a light and a truth more real than what we experience. It was Elisha, if you remember, who had his servant in the Old Testament who was uh, in the city of Dothan. The king of Aram had surrounded the city, similar, I guess, to Cyrus. He was sieging it with great army and many chariots and horses. And Elisha and his servant wake up in the morning, they look at the servant and says, what should we do? What can we do? And Elisha says this, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, we read, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In that moment, the servant's eyes were opened, not just to the physical realities of earth and human armies, but to the armies of heaven and the true reality of God. It was as if he'd woken up to a spiritual truth and reality that utterly transforms his life and his faith forevermore. 
This is one of the richest descriptions of what it's like for someone who does not know God to encounter Jesus and to become a Christian. The Bible says it's like being born again. It's where we get that phrase from. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you're made alive for a second time, then you cannot be in the kingdom. It's like waking up. It's like being a new creation. In Ephesians 4 verse 15, Paul quotes what we believe is an early baptism song lyric. And it's this. Wake up, sleeper. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Isn't that extraordinary? This is the hymn of the day. This was the latest Matt Redman number back in the first century or second century. Wake up, sleep. And uh, it probably went better than that, I imagine. Um, but this is what they were singing. Can you imagine those early baptisms? And they're all around singing and celebrating. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. The moment of being a Christian and being baptized is like waking up. Waking up to the Lordship of Christ. He is Lord and King. Jesus, waking up to the reality that you are loved and you are forgiven because of what he's done on that cross. Waking up to the reality that you're not the centre of the universe after all. He is. He's bigger and far more wonderful than we could ever imagine and it's his world, his universe, his plans, his ways because he is good through and through. Waking up to the promise and hope of eternal life. Waking up to the reality of his kingdom breaking in on this earth, a kingdom of justice and peace and mercy and love, waking up to the truth that God is real and God is good and God is faithful, as we heard this morning, waking up to the wonder that God loves this world and so he is transforming all things and he is rescuing souls, waking up to the enlivening, filling and powerful reality of the presence of God, now living in you by his Holy Spirit waking up to the courage and wisdom and love and grace and power that are now available to you because the Spirit dwells within. Waking up to the fact that Jesus is alive. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Friends, if you haven't woken up to Jesus yet, just say to you, you can wake up to Jesus this morning. You just need to say to him, Lord, open my eyes. Say yes to Jesus. And it's like waking up. Things are never the same again. And if you haven't been baptised, I just want to say this to you. This is not a pressure. This is me being obedient to the call of Christ in Scripture and sharing it with you. The call of Christ is come and be baptised. Believe and be baptised. If you haven't, as a believing Christian, been baptised or been uh, uh, through baptism, confirmation, we're an open Baptist church, that's okay if that was meaningful to you, but if you haven't been through baptism at all, particularly as a believer, come and speak to me, because it's part of your walk with Jesus. Wake up! Wake up! We'll celebrate with you. It'd be amazing. Love to have the baptistry open before Christmas. Wouldn't that be awesome? You see, friends, we're called to be an awake people, not a sleeping people. As a church, Creech Baptist, we're called to be an awake church, not a sleeping church. And there are three things I'm going to bounce through quickly now with some questions at the end of each one that I'd love us to think about this week and to chew on as a fellowship. Three things that I believe we're called to be awake to. Firstly, I believe we're called to be awake to what God is 
doing. See, Jesus says to the church in Sardis, you better wake up or I'm going to come like a thief and you will not know at what time I come to you. I'm going to be like that guy climbing the walls and I'll be here before you know it, Jesus said. And this time, the implication is Jesus is coming with judgment upon his sleeping church. It's Jesus who loves them so much, he's still the judge of all heaven and earth. He's come to say, no, come on. And this powerful image, of course, is rooted in Scripture. We see it elsewhere. Jesus tells us that one day he's going to come back and judge all people, bring his kingdom to its fullness. And he said it will be like a wedding where the bridegroom is delayed and everyone's waiting. And in fact, they've fallen asleep. It's taken so long, the bridal party have fallen asleep. But finally they hear that the bridegroom is on his way and they wake up. And they're not prepared, so they rush off and get prepared. And as they rush off, the bridegroom arrives and they miss the wedding. And they miss the bridegroom because they were sleeping. And they bang on the door, saying, let us in. The bridegroom says, truly, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, Jesus says, because you do not know the day or the hour, Matthew 25. Keep watch. Keep watch for my coming. My coming again in glory. Nobody knows when. Be awake, be ready, be excited, be expectant. But even more than that, it's not, uh, it's not just about Jesus coming at the end of time. And he says, when I come, will I find faith on earth? It's not just about being ready for that, whenever that might be. And it might be today, and it might be next week, and it might be in a hundred years' time. It may be more, I can't tell you. But I know one day he's coming. And we need to be ready. Let it not be us who's caught sleeping when he does. <laughs> come on. But it's also about what he's doing here and now. It's not just, Jesus isn't sat back going, oh, one day I'll, I'll come to you, but until then, I'm not going to do anything. No, God is alive. And it means he's active all over the world in the ministry of salvation and redemption and transformation. Right now, all around us, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our towns and villages, in our families, in this church and the churches around in our local communities, all over this world. Problem is, we so often have our eyes closed and we miss it. God is on mission, so should we be with him. He's touching hearts, he's transforming lives in beautiful ways, even in our fellowship at the moment. And one way we can make a mistake is when we get boastful and go, oh, God's, God's really blessed us, we're in a mate. Well, take God out of it. We're an amazing church, you know, look at what we're doing, isn't it marvellous? not called to be like that, be arrogant and as if we've done all this great thing. But equally so, we're not called to be like, oh, God's doing nothing. Why don't God do more? God's not, God's, God's not up to anything. God is up to all sorts of things all around us, in all these people's lives, sat here and up here, all the time, and in your life, whether you see it or not. And we are called to notice it as a church, and we are called to celebrate it as a church. And we are called to be excited and expectant and have our eyes open to expect it on a Sunday when we gather, to expect it in our workplaces and in our homes, to expect it when we pray that God is up to amazing things, that amazing things will happen. As we heard from Dave, what a great little plaque that is. I'd love that plaque. Um, Amazing things will happen. It's at the heart of our vision to be a church. That where we all play a part in seeing Jesus transforming lives. And it starts by having our eyes open.
to what he's already doing and expectant and excited about what he will do in Dave's life, the Lamas' life, in my life, in your life, in the ordinary stuff that we're going through, in the struggles and the pain and the sorrow, in the joys and the wonders when we gather and when we are apart. Be awake. Are you expectant that God is going to move when you come to church? Are you expectant that God is going to move or do amazing things when you arrive at your workplace, in your family, when you pray? All right, let's whiz on. Secondly, we need to be awake to what is within. The truth is, um, well, Jesus says to the church in Sardis that they need to remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. They've received the gospel, the good news about Jesus, but they'd also received the most extraordinary gift within. The gift of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So easy to say it glibly and go, Matt, I know that. But this gift is honestly incomprehensibly significant to our lives, to our Christian walk. This holy, powerful, glorious spirit of the Lord God of all the universe has come to dwell in you folks, in you and in me. All the splendour and might of the temple with its columns and its gold and its incense and its rituals and its slaughter and its sacrifices and its brass and its copper and its precious metals. All of it was just to house the presence of God. Well, just to house a place where God said he promised he'd dwell. And now the Bible says you're the temple. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, wake us up to that fact this morning. The gift of the Holy Spirit within us. Open our eyes, Lord, to see it. So I was coming to church this morning. It was a little bit late and I was driving through and then I just looked and I was just pulling out into the road in Creech and just for a flash on a roof, uh, just opposite the junction coming out of Hyde Lane as we're about to turn right towards the shop and the church, there was this perfect white dove with a little... Uh, branch in its mouth just landing on the roof and then it was gone and I just thought yeah Lord open my eyes to your spirit because of course the spirit is like a dove in scripture the dove is one of the uh, beautiful images of it and actually Jesus became a resting place for the spirit the spirit knew here was a home he could stay And I pray that, that you and I are homes where the spirit can dwell settle and lead us and guide us with power and courage, faith, passion, comfort, peace. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, Paul says to Timothy, but a power and love and self-control. So often we can quash the spirit within. He becomes more like a tiny little flickering match, barely able to stay awake, stay sort of lit, to use the analogy, instead of a burning fire within, healthy, and growing, vibrant. That's why Paul also says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that's within you. Fan it into flame, Timothy. That's why Jesus says to this church, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Fan the Holy Spirit in your life into flame, the gift that is within you. 
It's true when Elisha said, those who are with us are more than those who are with them, but it's also true when Paul says that he that is in you, no, John says this, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. If you love Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, you've said, yes, Lord, you have woken up to this new life, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And I simply want to say to you this morning, fan that gift into flame. I know a friend who told me this week they've been singing a song over and over again. They've been fanning the gift into flame, a spiritual song, a Christian song. I know another friend who said, Matt, I've been praying in tongues loads every day. And the more I do it, the more I come awake and the more I want to do it. And I'm like, what is he up to? He's fanning into flame the gift within. I haven't been doing that this week. I want to do it. I want to do it some more. If you're thinking, well, I don't have the gift of tongues, I just want to say to you, don't panic, don't worry, it doesn't make you a lesser or greater Christian. If you ever want to know more about it, you want to be prayed for, we'll pray for you. You might receive that gift. But you don't need the gift of tongues to fan into flame the gift of the Spirit within. Seek the Lord. Listen to his voice. Say to the Lord, hey, do you want to speak to me this morning? When you're in this sort of situation, when you're at church, don't think, oh, that person will talk and that person will have a word and that person always gets a vision. No! You have the Spirit within you. Say, Lord, would you speak to me? One of my friends who often gets visions and words said to me once, I still always say at the beginning of those times when we went on the Lord, Lord, is there something you want to say to me? Is there something you want to share? It's the spirit of expectancy, or rather the attitude of expectancy, that fans into flame the gift that is within. We need to wake up to what we carry within. We also need to wake up to the struggles that we carry within as well. And I'm not going to dwell on this one, but we need to wake up to the rubbish that's going on in our lives so much of the time. Repent of the bad choices, the lazy compromises, the downright selfish sin that seems to be on repeat. Oh yeah, let's put that one on repeat in my life. No. Stop pretending and sleeping through the bad habits we've adopted. Let's wake up to their consequences and ask the Lord to forgive us, set us free, fill us afresh to overflowing with his spirit again. Be awake to what is within you. Be awake, friends. Have you forgotten who you carry within you? Are you aware of the repeating patterns in your life that need to change? All right, I need to bring this into land. Finally, we need to be awake to the world around. Because I believe God calls us to be a people who see in a way that nobody else can see or does see in this world. Because we've got the eyes of, uh, that have been opened by God we might have the eyes of Jesus to see what is going on in this world, particularly the pains and the injustices. Our God sees them and they break his heart. In the Old Testament, he's called El Roy by Hagar, the discarded servant on her own in the desert, because God comes and speaks with her and she says, El Roy, you are the God who sees me. You saw me. He's the God who sees. And it says here in Psalm 138, though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. He sees the strugglers and the hurting, the lonely, the abandoned. He sees the injustices. He's the God who sees, and if we're going to be like him in this world more than any other charity or organisation or government or group, we as God's people are supposed to be the people who see. Some of these issues are enormous and require politicians and, and charities and influence and Praise the Lord, there are people here and around the world who are Christians involved in that. 
But all of us are called to pray. All of us are called to intercede. All of us are to, called to notice and see the schemes of the enemy that are trying to suffocate, kill, steal, destroy in our culture today, to pray against them. And then there are things particularly locally to you where you don't just have the remit of influence, but you're called to make an influence. To see that person at work or on the bus or at home or the carer who comes and visits you and to speak truth to them and love them and hear from them about how they're doing and pray for them and encourage them and maybe share something of your story with them and share Jesus with them. But secondly, and this is finally, we're not just to be a people who see the bad in the world and think we must do something about it. I want us to have our eyes open to be awake to the amazing hope and transformation of the gospel. We are not to be a negative people. We're not just people called to see the struggle, but also the potential and the beauty and the wonder in this world that God has created all around, and particularly through the work of his Spirit. To remember again that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, his kingdom, is breaking in as we pray. We are not a people of despair, but of renewal. We're not a people of abandonment, but of hope, of new life, not death. So Lord, help us not to fall asleep to this fact. Are your eyes open to those personally struggling around you? And are your eyes open to the positive beauty, wonder and potential that God calls you to nurture and release in this world? I'll put these questions on uh, refresh this week. You can just chew them a little bit more. You can see them again if you go back on YouTube. Um, But chew on them, friends. Lord, open our eyes as a church. Open my eyes. Open your eyes. So I want to finish by asking, are we awake? Dear church, are we awake to what God is doing, to what is within us, and to the world around us? For those that wake up, Jesus says, they'll receive a garment far more beautiful than anything that Sardis could come up with in the heights of its opulence and wealth. Far more beautiful than their royal garments, you'll receive a white garment, blemish-free, garment of forgiveness, of love, of praise, of family, of belonging, of salvation, of eternal life. Finish with the words of one commentator. Sardis was a church which everyone spoke well of. Perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. Yet they were unable to distinguish between the peace of well-being and the peace of death. The church is dead and is therefore fittingly addressed by Christ as the one who holds the seven spirits. It's the spirit of God. For only the life-giving spirit of God in all its fullness can bring the dead to life. Wake up, Jesus says. Come, Holy Spirit, we reply. Shall we pray? Can I invite the band to come back? Can I invite you, if you're able, just to stand with me as we pray for a moment? Because of time, in a moment I think we'll finish with our closing hymn. That's okay. But I just want us to take a couple of minutes now, just before we do sing our last song. And I just want you to stand in the presence of Jesus.
Whoever you are this morning, wherever you are on your walk, if you've walked with him for many years, if you've been so curious and so close, maybe today is the moment for you to say to Jesus, wake me up, Lord, open my eyes. As we stand in his presence, I just want to ask, what is the Lord saying to you this morning? Are there areas in your life where you've been asleep and the Spirit is stirring, longing, fire aflame again? If you don't know Jesus this morning and you think you're at the point where actually I really would like to commit to this amazing Jesus, I don't want to leave this place having not marked my commitment to him without giving him my yes. I'm just going to pray in this moment. You can just pray quietly in your heart with me. Lord Jesus, I realise that without you I'm walking in darkness. Without you I can't see. Without you it's like being asleep or even being dead. Lord Jesus, would you wake me up this morning? I give you my yes, Jesus. You are Lord and you are King. Thank you that you died on that cross for me. Thank you that I am forgiven and loved. Thank you that you have not just taken away the bad in my life now, but that you have come with your Holy Spirit to give me hope and purpose, destiny and a future, and to be part of your plans that are good for this world. Come, Holy Spirit, now. Come and fill me afresh and wake me up, I pray. For I love you, Jesus, my Lord and my Saviour. Forgive me and set me free and wake me up this day. Amen. For everybody else now, just in a moment, I just want you to speak with Jesus and just ask him to wake you up, whatever it is. Hear his phrase, wake up. Just take a moment. Speak with him and let him reveal to you the areas where you've been sleeping and let him stir again by his spirit within you, fill you afresh and bring you alive again. Just take a moment in the quiet. Holy Spirit, open our eyes this morning. Wake us up, Lord.